Welcome to Game of Books Podcast. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. And I'm Christy in South Florida. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and mystery through interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors. And our virtual book club. And even our fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us on today's adventure. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with Hallie Sutton. It's going to be a great episode. We're so excited about this. Hallie is a debut author whose book, right underneath my paper here, The Lady Upstairs, best cover of the year, I'm telling you, <laughs> right? If you can't see us, it's just go out and buy it. It's really sexy. It's really good. Um, her book was published in just um, a few weeks ago in November and has shot right to the top of some pretty important lists. And we're super excited for her. Yes, yes. And we'll have a lot to talk about. Um, but first, let me give a little background. Hallie Sutton is a writer and editor who lives in Los Angeles. She is a Pitch Wars mentor and holds a master's degree in writing from Otis College of Art and Design. The Lady Upstairs is her debut novel. And we got an awesome description here. It's once in a blue moon, a fresh literary voice emerges fully mature and perfectly suited for the cultural moment. This moment, this time it belongs to Hallie Sutton, whose extraordinary debut, The Lady Upstairs, takes a close look at female power and revenge as it reinvents the noir crime genre. And in case you think that's all just talk, um, the Washington Post listed her novel in an article entitled Love Suspense. Here are five new thrillers that will have you at the edge of your seat. And guess who else was on that list? S.J. Rosen and Michael Connolly. So we're talking great. And um, if that wasn't enough already, it's been optioned for television by Sony TV. So Hallie, it is so nice to talk to you today. It is so nice to be here. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Kathy. I am going to replay that blurb on end whenever I need a little. <laughs> For having like, a bad day. That beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like, someone believes in me. Yes. <laughs> I think absolutely. more than someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Nice. So um, before we get into all the big questions and stuff, um, Kathy, why don't you tell us what wine we chose for of today. Course, of course, <laughs> I'll show you here if you're on YouTube with us. This is the, so Hallie likes a Zinfandel, which we have to agree with for wholeheartedly. And so um, we suggested the Bogle um, uh, Vineyards Old Vine Zinfandel right from Hallie's neighborhood in California. And it's, um, the reason I thought it would be a good one is that it's something we can all get. And it's an affordable wine and within our under 20 bucks, but we can all get it in all the different areas we're in, Florida, South Dakota, and California. So as Christy's taken a taste, <laughs> Allie's got some other work to do. So she's going to enjoy hers later. Yeah. Um, the tasting notes, I kind of, I kind of dig these tasting notes. Hallie, we, we read tasting notes all the time. And some of them are, they, we always want to know who's writing these because they're just right. it's, very it's dramatic. The best, it's the best creative writing. It's like a hint of gravel and stuff. Yeah. And mushroom <laughs> spiced yeah. with latte you know so, so, this, so evocative. Uh, this one's just nuts and bolts man I no like i mean it was it was just bullet points i was like I oh know, my I gosh i'm gonna you love it i'm gonna i'm gonna solicit them i'm gonna get paid to marry one of the <laughs> tasting notes i'm thinking this is fun we know how to do it now i like this one so this one says it's um the zimondale is barrel aged in american oak for 12 months 
raspberries, peppercorns, juniper, dried herbs, and vanilla. Not a verb to be found. <laughs> nope. Well, and I, I, I don't know what juniper tastes like. So, uh, well, like gin, you know, like juniper berries. Oh, oh. Christmas tree. Yeah. So that's not bad. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the wine's delicious. Hallie, you'll love it later. All good. <laughs> okay. So I, we were coming up with our questions we wanted to talk to you about. And the only thing I could think about starting with is Joe, your main character. Oh, I mean, okay. Listen from about the, I don't know, 13th second you're into this book, you just realize that this is not a protagonist like any other protagonist that you know. Okay. She has some questionable morals. Perhaps. <laughs> okay. She does very questionable yeah. morals. Um, but yet she's devoted to her coworker, this friend, Lou. She's Joe has been wronged very badly in the past. She's not afraid, afraid of retribution, little violence, right? She's <laughs> unapologetic. Um, she's self-destructive. I was making a list here, (laughs) (laughs) but here's the thing. Hallie makes the reader root for her. All those things, those qualities I just said, you just want her to succeed so badly. So I want to know, A, how did you do that? One writer to another. And then two, how did Joe come to you? Like, talk to us about Joe. Sure. So thank you so much. Joe is by far my favorite part of the book. And I think the reason that I felt like I, I had been writing for a long time before I kind of embarked on um, writing this book. And the reason that I kind of felt like it was a novel was because I knew I wanted to spend time with Joe. that she has all of these qualities that are um, not always great. Uh, you did such a nice <laughs> job of describing her. Other people have described her more strongly and less <laughs> terms, um, but she felt very distinct to me. Um, and I, uh, so I knew that I kind of wanted to spend like at least a book length amount of time with her. Uh, and as for, as for how, I mean, essentially we're kind of talking about the question of like likability, which I think mm-hmm. somehow gets thrown around particularly for women as if a character has to be likable to be somebody you want to spend a book with. But I, I think that there's something about somebody being a very distinct character that propels that, even if they're not likable. Like um, my hope for anybody reading the book, whether or not you like Joe, is that she feels like a very specific person. And I think when somebody does feel that way, um, that the reader is willing to follow them and give them more latitude and then hopefully find little things to pick up along the way that keep them rooting for the character. Like, as you pointed out, one of Joe's really big driving forces is her attachment to Lou. And I think that that's something that's easy to relate to, even if you're not relating with some of the things that she does with the women she works with or the way that she, you know, um, traps bad bad men. And then what is the line of what (laughs) bad, you know, like, uh, but I think it's that, keeping her with a sense of humor, I think will keep readers along with you. Um, as for how I, she kind of came to me, um, you know, writers talk about like characters coming to them fully formed and mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily how I felt about her, but her voice was very immediate and sharp. I had this idea. I was writing a short story. I recently had my heart broken. And so I was very over men <laughs> and I was writing the short story about, um, I wonder how many writer's books start with something like that. Where, right, exactly. You know, <laughs> actually, I hate to say this, but I'm kind of glad that happened to you because this turned out really well. 
know, I hope he reads it and regrets. Yeah, no, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> You're, I'm channeling Adele right now because she's had quite a good career. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it works. It works for a lot of people. So, um, so I just had this scene in my head of this woman, uh, these two women at a diner and one was saying, I'm so in love with this man. I can't get over him. I just, you know, he's my life. And then there was a person sitting across from her uh, a woman who said, that's horseshit. You don't need him. Let's, let's destroy him. And I was just immediately like this person, I like this person. I like you better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And so I, uh, so it just, it made me laugh and it was kind of this really strong voice. And the more I kind of tried to lean into that voice, the more Joe just like became this person who felt very real. <sighs> very cool. That is so cool. I love that. You know, um, I had read a, a few reviews about them. They, you know, they talked about, they labeled it a feminist noir or she's a feminist femme fatale. What do you think about that label? Did you have that in your brain? And what's your thought about that? I think that that's, uh, thank you for asking, because that is a question that I have kicked around a lot in my head because um, I think it's a thorny issue. What Joe and Lou are doing with their blackmail agency for the lady upstairs is blackmailing bad men. Mm -hmm. You could make an argument is feminist as a way to reclaim power, but the way that they're doing it is essentially by using other women. So that is for sure not <laughs> very feminist. So that I, I guess for me, where I wanted the book to feel feminist was centering a character that's an archetype in noir, the femme fatale. Like what if she's a literal person? She's not just this projection of male kind of anxiety, which is what usually the femme fatale is in classic noir. What if she has hopes and dreams and aspirations of her own? And then the second part is that I don't think you have to be a perfect feminist or a perfect female to deserve to have your story told. And I think that that's where I wanted to go with Joe too. That And to raise those questions of like, where is the line here? She's doing something maybe that's about right. reclaiming power and agency, but it is also not a good thing. And it spirals right. out of control pretty quickly within the novel. I think right. that's really interesting because, you know, that label is one of those really strong labels. And like mm -hmm. you say, there's elements of, of, of feminism in here, but not every piece of it applies. Right. You know, so that label can be, and so I, I love how you embrace that. That's so, feminist femme fatale has got a pretty awesome ring to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I mean, I haven't read a lot of um, noir crime fiction. I, mm -hmm. I really enjoy this. I'm not sure because I, I you know, I would love to have your kind of definition of noir because I know it was very popular back in the fifties and of course that's all men. So of course it wasn't <laughs> feminist. I'm not sure. I never have read that much of that, but, um, but I think it's really kind of a cool genre and I want to know more about it. I think our listeners would, and also, mm -hmm. um, you know, how you ended up writing it. Um, so I would say noir for me, the definition that I fall back on is kind of like that old, um, you know, definition of pornography where it's, you know, it when you see it, noir, <laughs> is so much, <laughs> noir is so much about posture and attitude. And, you know, there's the tropes of it, the private detective, the lone wolf, he usually has a drinking problem, but it somehow makes him smarter in this like bizarre way that is never <laughs> and there's the femme fatale, you know, the woman who's dangerous, there's, all so these, she comes into the like detective agency. Is that the right? Slinks thing? in, okay. and you know, yeah, is the call to adventure, but he knows it's also going to destroy him. Um, and 
you know, just all the kind of very classical tropes of noir, but I think noir at heart um, is really kind of often about not even just crime, but kind of uh, systemic in imbalances and kind of that when you pull away the things that we have veneered on top of society to make it livable and to make it positive, that there are often these dark threads that run through it. And I think that even a lot of the classic noir touches on that. I think it's the disillusionment after World War One and the like uh, uncovering corruption in the police force or, you know, in the mayor's office or whatever it may be. Or um, And I think that that is what makes noir still really relevant today is that mm -hmm. unfortunately we haven't rooted all of that out. And for me, writing like a feminist noir about it felt very much like, I mean, that's kind of what the Me Too movement is all about, right? Is the kind of unmasking of those um, systemic predators. So it was mm -hmm. like, let's write a noir about this. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, like, so is this yeah. what they call, is this, because I've, I've read the term neo-noir mm -hmm. now, and yes. I'm like, is this neo-noir then? It's... It would de definitely be neo-noir. It's, you know, it's, it's meant to be set more present day, um, mm -hmm. kind of a neo-noir. And the second part of your question that I uh, didn't, didn't answer was that um, I actually didn't consciously decide to make this a noir book until I moved to Los Angeles, which has such like a deep history of noir. And it kind of became a way both to give my book structure so that I would kind of understand better. It was like I had Joe's voice in my head, but then making her a literal femme fatale with like an agency came about as like a way to make it a noir. But it was also like, I didn't understand Los Angeles at all. And I don't know that I do now, <laughs> but uh, it was a way to kind of like get deeper into the city because it has this history of, you know, film noir and, you know, a history of corruption in different places. And so it was like, oh, maybe that'll teach me about this new place I've moved. So did you go and like research all these different places? And because I, it feels like you've lived there forever, you know, in oh, the book, but. <laughs> thank you. Um, I definitely did. I would do, um, I don't know how familiar either one of you are with Los Angeles, but. Uh, Just been there for, oh, actually I did live there for like six months, but that was a really oh, okay. long time ago. <laughs> but I mean, so, so, you know, the thing that I wasn't really aware of until I moved there, which is like how neighborhoody it all is. Yeah. So place to place varies so much. Um, and yeah, so like one weekend I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go explore Koreatown. And then I'd just like go wander around Koreatown. I'd pick different, different places to go. And then the other thing I did as research was I did a lot of murder bus tours, which was <laughs> the mythology of the city. And I loved those. Those are so fun. I miss them. <laughs> All right, Kathy, we're going out there and Hallie's going to take us on a murder tour. Yeah, I would be glad to do it. I would be glad to do it. I even did it, um, one, one weekend early in quarantine, my quarantine pod, which are like my roommates. And then I have a friend across the street. Uh, I decided to put together my own murder bus tour and we just carried oh. for cars. And like, I would call them and like give the little history spiel. And then we would go to the oh. next. Perfect. <laughs> it was oh. so fun. <laughs> I love that stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of, there's so much of the me too movement that was in LA and Hollywood. And so mm -hmm. I your book is bridging so many things. So I, I can kind of see Hallie's tour of all these things. <laughs> this is like a whole, um, uh, what is that? Um, uh, cottage industry for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if this whole writer shebang thing doesn't work out. Yeah. I know. I've thought I, of that just, too. You can do the tours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've had some very good information, but I am dying. So it's our little segue. We do a little midway. Okay. And we ask everyone we talk to a question in the bottle. 
probably just like a question that maybe you've gotten to at the bottom of a bottle, you know, kind of those uh-huh. <laughs> you would discuss with your pod. <laughs> yes. And if you don't like it, we'll pass and pick another. Okay. Christy. Okay. All right. It is. If you could be a member of any TV family, which would you pick? Any TV family. The Sopranos. <gasps> <laughs> Love. Kelly, <laughs> are you Italian originally? I, I am not, but I'm oh. fascinated by all of that. I spent my New Year's lying in bed watching a bunch of different like Casino and Goodfellas. <laughs> so <laughs> great. Oh, that's great. Well, hopefully it, w- it ends, you know, it ends okay for you. Like you're, you know, able to. I would rather not get whacked. Yes. Yeah. Get whacked. <laughs> Maybe break that for yourself. That's great. That's awesome. Okay. So um, on with the questions. I I actually um, took part in Pitch Wars a couple years ago. I I didn't get chosen Mm -hmm. for that round, but I remember thinking this is such a great idea. And um, I was wondering if you could talk a little about your experience with Pitch Wars. Yeah, and I know about it. Because I don't, Twitter is not my world yet. So yeah. Fair enough. Twitter, Twitter can be amazing and Twitter can be a garbage fire. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's, well, I think that's how downs. I got introduced to Twitter was through yeah. that, you know, it was like oh, a couple cool. years ago and I was like, oh, they have something where you can pitch online and do this, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, okay. So a little overview of Pitch Wars, which is that Pitch Wars is an online mentoring program. It happens once a year. And um, people volunteer their time. It's writers. It's usually writers. I think in the past, they've also had editors or maybe even agents, but they they volunteer their time as a mentor and they kind of put out a wish list of the type of books that they would like to work with, like the same as you would if you were an agent or editor. And people apply to work with one of them, people who have a finished manuscript that they know they need to revise or they know they need to get kind of pushed further along. Um, And every mentor picks one person to work with. Occasionally they can pick two, but generally it's just one. Um, And they help them revise that book over the course of three or four months. And then at the end of it, there's this showcase for agents that kind of gives you like a leg up to pitching agents. And along the way, they have other things. Um, like PitMad, where you can pitch your book over Twitter and agents are looking at it. And it's just kind of a way to kind of um, break through the noise of querying, which can be so lonely and so difficult and definitely have had that experience too. Um, So back in 2018, I had a completed draft of The Lady Upstairs and I had worked it over a couple of different times. Um, and I had started querying and I had gotten some initial interest and then a lot of passes. And then I got this great feedback from an agent who passed, said she would read it again, but she had like eight paragraphs of feedback about what she liked and didn't like about the book. And it was like the nicest thing to get because yeah, yeah it, it like so often what you get from agents is just like, not right for me. Thank you. Which is right. really valid, but it doesn't, it's, you can't, revise anything off of that. So so I got all this great feedback from this uh, agent, Sharon Pelletier. And uh, I was like, okay, great. So I know I need to revise my book, but I don't know how. Um, I have gotten, I've kind of done as much as I know how to do with this book, but she's has all these good points and I totally see the value in it. And I just am kind of not sure how best to implement that. So that led me to Pitch Wars. 
Um, and in addition, what kind of sparked my interest was I was looking through all the mentors that year and there was a mentor, a woman named Lane Fargo, and I had seen her book come across in Publishers Lunch, which are kind of the daily like um, updates about people who have sold books and to where, and it was described as a workplace noir. And it was about, um, it was her debut novel, Temper. It was about these kind of psychosexual dynamics at a theater production company, strong as lead. And I was like, yes, like this, I can't wait to read this book. And how amazing would it be to work with this person? So I applied to her along with a couple of other people um, for Pitch Wars 2018. And I actually ended up getting picked by Lane, which was amazing. And she really helped me transform my book in the course of three to four months. And it like, I look back on it and it was just such an amazing experience. We did so much to the book and I only had one mental breakdown where I was just, you know, <laughs> sobbing on my bed, like I can't do it. But um, it was such a great, yeah, it was just such a great opportunity, such a huge help. I don't think the book would have been published. I know the book wouldn't have been published without Lane really taking me in hand and saying like, okay, you don't have a midpoint. And I was like, that's great. What is a midpoint? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Absolutely. You're right. I don't. Um, so she really kind of, she turned me on to save the cat rights a novel. She helped me kind of like ch chart my plot um, and just, yeah, made me a better writer. And now we're really good friends. And so oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's been amazing. For the is that how you got your agent too? Or it, it is. So uh, I was in the agent showcase and actually Sharon Pelletier, the one who'd given me such good feedback. Um, to see the book again and then within two weeks like was like I'd love to represent you this is oh, oh wonderful you know, I got what chills an amazing experience yeah. <laughs> for you for the mentee but what a what a generous thing for the mentors to do unbelievably generous unbelievably generous and um you know I have really felt a call to give that back because that is such a huge help so for the last two years 2019 and then this year again this year Lane and I have been co-mentors and we've actually worked on two different books so we're in the middle of working on one right now that I'm really excited about she's a phenomenal author well you're oh, like the picture of how we should, this industry sh works and should work yeah. you know like I received this help I'm bringing it back that's awesome thank you awesome Wow. Yeah. That is very cool. So I, you had, um, you had told some of the story in an interview with Neil Nyron. Oh yes. Yeah. Chrissy and I got to meet at Thriller Fest and he's just such a generous guy. And so. Oh, like, he is. Well, he was at Sleuth Fest too. He's always there. He's just everywhere. <laughs> but anyway, it talked about, you had said, I think like something like, I just had no idea how much revision I would be doing on this book. And I, I'm revi revising right now and I am. Oh yeah struggling like I just can't believe how much I have to read like it's just as daunting I'd have to kind of like I had to have my that come to Jesus moment where it's like okay this is what it is yeah so I I would love to know what your thoughts are on revision in general and what you've uh -huh. learned like what we would do different next time or when uh -huh. you know I don't know um well, first of all, exciting to be revising and in the revision stage and I would love to hear more about both of your projects as oh, writers. um so revision, so I went to grad school, um, which is why I moved to LA. And I, it has always bummed me out. I had a great experience at grad school. I had so much help from professors. I had, you know, a really great group of peer, peers to like workshop with, but um, no one teaches you how to revise. And I think that's like the most important part of writing 
thing. And I know that it's more individual than just being able to say, take this one method and do it. But it would have been really helpful if I had ever had somebody who were like, here was, here were some strategies. So it is something I love to talk about because I'm like, we should all just be talking about this all, <laughs> all the time. All the I time. know. I know. That yeah. was the first big shocker after finishing right. the yeah. book. It's like, what? <laughs> right. Right. And you're like, I have to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> again and again and again. <laughs> again and again and again. Yeah. And so, yeah. So for me, my personal revision journey was, you know, I did a, a couple of revisions of the novel before Pitch Wars. And I thought that that's what revising was. And then I got to Pitch Wars and I was like, oh no, this is revising. Like, I broke the book in so many places to make it better. Um, but, you know, I probably over the course of three to four months wrote like 40,000 new words for the book. It was crazy. Um, and then I revised again, like two or three rounds with my agent before we took it on sub. And then I sold the book and I revised I think three different times with my editor. So it was wow. like, it, it was just, and it was one of those things where I was almost glad I didn't know how much revision was ahead of me. <laughs> I would have been like, that's crazy. There's no way. Not listening, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I do think it, every time we did it, it made it better. But I think some of the strategies for me that really worked for revision was I do think you have to take time away from the book. You know, you have to be able to see it with fresh eyes. And so one of the first things I do when I'm revising a book after like an early draft of it um, is I put it away for a little bit and then I try to read it through and I just try to make as many kind of like um, pragmatic notes as I can. Why does she do this now? Why does this happen on this day? Like just kind of trying to like puncture holes in my storytelling to make it like the foundation as solid as possible. I don't worry about like how pretty the words are yet or if this like symbolism matches. It's basically just like, is the foundation for the house strong? Can we keep building or do we have to go back? Um, and so that's kind of the first pass. And then later what I get to, and so I, I just kind of try to ask myself as many questions as I can. And often I'll do this just kind of, um, I'll print it out and I'll just write it in pen on the side. And then I have to go back eventually and answer all of those questions. Yeah. And maybe on a second read, I realize that maybe like a couple of those questions are, you can toss them out. They're like, okay, that's minor, but like, I need to be able to answer all of those questions, particularly because if you're working with an editor and they ask you, you know, I did have a couple of things I'm sorry. I feel like all of my, my answers are super long-winded. No. Talk to new people. No, it's very interesting. <laughs> We're fascinated. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I did have a couple of things. I remember I sent it to my editor that I was like, in the back of my mind, I knew it didn't make sense, but I was like, maybe it'll be fine. And then <laughs> those were, of course, the first things that she was like, yeah, why did the police do it this way? And I'm like, ah, because I wanted them to. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm trying a writer. <laughs> exactly. Like suspend your disbelief. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> so that first pass of asking questions, I think is really important because there will of course be things that you don't see that you can't see until somebody else brings it up. But if there's things that you know are weak, everyone else is going to know them too. You can't bluff your way through it. So mm -hmm. find spots was kind of the first pass. Um, and then what I found really worked well for me was reading the book out loud and reading the book out loud, almost in character, you know, Joe has a very distinctive voice. So it was very easy to kind of put her on like a role when I was trying to revise and be like, you know, and then you could hear where it doesn't sound right. Exactly. You can hear where it doesn't sound right. And then for me, it also came up like, oh, why isn't she thinking about this right now? You know what I mean? Like it, it made it more clear to me kind of acting almost at, in character as her like right. where spots of the manuscript didn't 
didn't make sense. Like, oh, I actually think that she would be thinking about this, or I actually think she'd be doing this while she's doing this. Like it, it just kind of gave me a more lived in sense of her. Right. That's, That's good I've advice. Out loud, but I've never done it like in character. I mean, I've never gone that far. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Have another glass of wine. I'll read your book in character. There you <laughs> yeah, go. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's great. It's that really interesting. I, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you saying, you know, that revision is the thing mm-hmm. and you, you just, you don't realize that like how much. Is I it? know. And, yeah. but it's, but that's what we hear again and again. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's great to hear it different is. ways of approaching it. Cause mm-hmm. like you said, everybody is a little different. Like, uh-huh you know, my weaknesses aren't the same as yours, aren't the same as right. Kathy. So we just have to, you know, um, but it's, it's work. It's work. It's it is. Work. It is. And I think partially because some of the ways, like right now I'm working on my second book and some of the ways that I'm convincing myself to do that in the midst of like, you know, some pretty extreme world circumstances. Right. So I'm telling myself it doesn't have to be good. It just has to have something on the page. And so it's not a great draft. But then the revision is the part where you're like, eventually you do, you know, you do have to cash that ticket. It does have to get. And that's what everybody says, but it, it is hard on the first time around because you don't realize it. And then of course, Kathy and I both are newbies, but we've learned so much over the, since we met, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. So every time you learn a new thing, you're like, oh, got to do another revision. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I like, I think speaking of difficult times, like during the pandemic, I, I feel like a lot of us learned like to acknowledge your muscle that you can, you can do hard things. Like we had uh-huh. the muscle. And I think revising is one of those hard muscles that you have to learn yes. to kind yes. of enjoy that or something like, totally. you know, so um, you're working on a, um, a, a new book. Yeah. What is that? You, uh, now, are you already like, did they say two books deal or anything like no. that? Well, you're going to get published. Don't worry. Cause oh. you're. You're in Target. Come on. I'm in Target. target. So (laughs) this is a Target, people. The pinnacle. (laughs) (laughs) The cover, though. This is if you were watching this on YouTube, you can see this sexy, sexy cover. And if you're not, and and Kathy's sexy nails with it, which (laughs) I love it. I did get my nails done for my daughter today, but they're kind of like they change colors. So maybe yeah, I can see that. Did you green and blue and purple and black? Yeah. Did you have any input on this? Hallie? It is so good. It's uh, it's fabulous. It was designed by a woman named Erica Verbeck, and I try to drop her name as much as possible because she did such a phenomenal job, um, and she's a designer with Putnam. Uh, so they, my editor Danielle Dietrich at Putnam's, like a wonderful human. I'm lucky every day that to work with her, and she made this book phenomenal. So she, if if the book is any good, it's due to her and to Sharon and Lane, um, and. So she asked me, you know, do you have any preferences for covers? Like, are there anything, is there anything you're really strongly drawn to? Is there anything you really don't like, you know? And so I put together like Pinterest boards and kind of was like, here are things I really like, you know, elements I really like, here are things I don't um, love. I respect that, you know, the cover designer is, they do their job for a reason and they, you know, they know what looks good on shelves. They know what looks good in different places. Um, so there was an element of me trying to be Zen about it and be like, what they bring you, you know, if you really hate it, tell them, but like, if, if, if you're just not sure about it, sit with it. And then this showed up in my inbox, this the cover. And I just like burst into tears and was like, it's perfect. It's 
beautiful. <laughs> we didn't really change much from the first pass of the cover that they sent me, except for that kind of um, smokiness that goes through the words mm-hmm. uh, the, of the title. Um, mm-hmm. That's, I think, the only change we made to the cover before it was just kind of straight yellow, which would have also looked great, but I loved that it kind of tied. Oh, yeah, definitely. Together. Yeah. Um, the story even exceeds the sexiness of the cover. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I do. Yeah. I love that. It, it kind of has this kind of throwbacky eighties, nineties, like neon yeah. to it while still feeling modern. I mean, I think Erica knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Well, That's Kelly, great. this has been so fun talking with yeah, you. Yeah. We could do this all day, but I know you actually, I know. we have, a, <laughs> we could have more wine to drink. We could do this. We'll just have to do part two with your next book. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Is your next book a noir, you think, or? It is. So it's another feminist noir. And um, actually, it is about a woman who runs a murder bus tour here in Los Angeles. Oh, no way. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so so when the book opens, um, she discovers a body at one of the stops on the tour of a young woman. And um, it's actually going to end up being tied to the unsolved murder of her own sister 20 years ago. So that's sold. That's a, an overview. That sounds awesome. From this sold. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, Christy, I know you have one, more, one last question for Helen. Oh, yes. Okay. So we have this one final question that appeases all our mysterious foodies. That's what we oh. call our listeners out there. <laughs> um, so which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Mm. Mm. Good question. Um, I'm going to answer it kind of sideways, which is that I would love to be in a tiki bar with Lou. <laughs> Love to be in a tiki bar with Lou and hopefully eating like Hawaiian food or Chinese food or something. But uh, I have I have questions for her, even though yeah, I-, <laughs> I think <laughs> the drinks in the tiki bar, did you make those up or were they from a tiki bar you've been to? I did make them up, um, but I, but I, I kind of love, I mean, we could get into like the in and outs of tiki culture, which definitely has like very racist roots, but there's <laughs> something really interesting that like the creativity that goes into those drinks, <laughs> they're sometimes very disgusting and sometimes they're wonderful, but they're always just kind of different, you know? <laughs> I read that description and I was like, no wonder Joe didn't want to drink that. I was like, I <laughs> right. <laughs> Not a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh this has been awesome. Okay, so yeah. very important, Hallie, if our listeners have questions about how to reach mm-hmm. out to you or get some information, where should they go? They can find me on Twitter at Hallie underscore Sutton, or you can find me on Instagram at Hallie Sutton 25, or um, I do actually have an author newsletter that goes out once a month, which is really just kind of me um, generally it's me recommending things like books I've read or shows or different things that like are in the crime sphere, uh, highlighting long form articles. So, um, those are, those are the best places. <laughs> awesome. That's so great. Thank well, you. and we'll of course have them on our website for any listeners that want to get yes. the links or whatever. Wonderful. And if anyone wants a, I should send this to you, but, um, or maybe my publicist sent it to you, but there, we actually have a specific lady upstairs cocktail that was, uh, made just for the book. So there's had that today. Yeah, I know. I should have, I, I spaced, uh, so <laughs> there's a, uh, a, a recipe in the, um, what is it? The book club guide that's on, on Putnam, or I can send you the okay. download. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get it from Putnam. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Great. 
All right. So um, I guess, you know, this has been a fun conversation, but I guess we have to go. So we're going to have to toast Hallie for her huge success and Thank Kathy you. for her yes. empty glass. And um, <laughs> yeah. and we all stay healthy in yes. 2021. All right. 2021. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun, fun time. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on today's adventure. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter or enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers. Cheers.